Hello, my name is Anil Trevetti. I am the intern uh, at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Hinsdale, Illinois. Uh, these podcasts are uh, just an opportunity for me to practice and, and to uh, uh, kind of archive my work during my internship. Uh, this uh, sermon was preached uh, on November 22nd, 2020, uh, shortly after the election and uh, uh, directly after I saw uh, the images of the of the really really long lines of of cars uh, lining up at food banks uh, during uh, you know the the right before Thanksgiving uh, during the winter of of the pandemic year, uh, you may remember some of those images. They were just stark. Uh, it was hard to ignore um, the need um, that you saw uh, in those images. Um, this was also a sermon that afterwards I remember my supervisor, Pastor Katie, saying. You tried to do all the things in that sermon, didn't you? Uh, and and I, I take that to heart. Uh, this was a, a, um, another good experience of learning for me uh, in, in light of everything that was going on and, and having preached a midweek sermon um, just, just prior to this, uh, right after the election. Um, this was a great, uh, a great experience for me to learn. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it. This last week on Tuesday, I was struck by two images that I saw in the news, back to back. The first was the report that the Dow Jones hit an all-time high, at least in part on, on the encouraging progress of a second coronavirus vaccine. This revelation of tremendous wealth being created for the already tremendously wealthy was followed immediately by a second image, the image of an almost impossibly long line of cars in Dallas, Texas, queued up at a food bank. Maybe some of you saw these images as well. Thousands and thousands and thousands of cars lined up like rush hour on the Stevenson Expressway. And in each car, one of our neighbors making unthinkably hard choices about how to pay rent, how to pay health insurance, and still find a, find a way to get food on the table. Each of these two images, the stock market and the food bank, is meaningful and memorable on its own. However, the contrast between them, of course, back to back on the same day is what stuck with me. No matter your political affiliation or your preferred method of addressing income inequality in this country, the contrast between the haves and the have-nots in this country is stark and startling. Massive income inequality truly is a snapshot of the American empire. And today on Christ the King Sunday, we get a snapshot of a different empire, of God's kingdom. This festival day was originally added to the church calendar in the 1920s in response to the rise of some 
relatively well-known dangerous dictatorships in Europe at the time. This festival is an acknowledgement that there is a political element to Christ's reign in this world. And God's kingdom looks different from the empires that humanity builds and supports. And so today we get a snapshot of what that kingdom of God looks like from Matthew. There is a beautiful description of Christ's presence among the least of these, the hungry, the thirsty, and the incarcerated. I understand this text was even a favorite of Mother Teresa's. She based her life's work on the fundamental truth that what she did for the least of these she did for God's self. But there is an awful lot of judgment too in this snapshot of God's kingdom, isn't there? I have this tendency to want to turn away from or, or skip over these more difficult texts. Do any of you relate to that tendency? I mean, here we have a snapshot of the kingdom of God with Christ sitting on the throne in glory. And yes, he is declaring his presence among the least of these, but he's also separating people into groups, into sheep and goats. And we're not talking about goats like LeBron James the goat, the greatest of all time, sorry Jordan fans. No, we're talking about sheep and goats as the righteous and the unrighteous, those who inherit the kingdom of God, and those who do not. For me, just about any message of judgment in scripture is challenging. But this one in particular is a tough pill to swallow because Jesus says that those who fail to feed even just one of the hungry or visit just one of the incarcerated get lumped in with the unrighteous non-LeBron goats. That is a high bar, isn't it? Even just one? And, and for Lutherans, I mean, the way that Jesus describes this judgment so clearly tied to works is particularly troubling, isn't it? And so for me, my tendency to want to turn away from the harsh judgment in this text boils down to, I, I think, a mistaken sense that I need to guard and protect my existing understanding of God. That God couldn't possibly be anything that I don't already know and don't already understand. And isn't that interesting? Because Jesus tells us in this very text that both the sheep and the goats have a limited understanding of God. Both the sheep and the goats fail to recognize Christ's presence in the least of these. Both groups ask the very same question. But Jesus, when was it that we saw you? Both groups, those who visit the incarcerated and those who do not, are unable to recognize God as something that they don't already know and don't already understand, much like my own tendency to want to skip over these difficult texts. 
But God is always more than what we understand God to be. There is mystery. There is depth. And by turning away when we see something that doesn't fit our preconceived notions, like harsh judgment, we miss out on the chance to experience a little bit more of the depth and beauty and mystery and wholeness of God. The writer Nate Ham says that deep truths are almost always found not in knowledge, but in wisdom, not in proof, but in paradox. And so rather than turn away from today's difficult word of judgment from Christ, the King, sitting on the throne in glory, I want to encourage you to turn towards it. Lean in to the discomfort instead, because I think there are two things in particular that we can learn about God and God's kingdom that we might otherwise miss if we turn away from the judgment in this text. The first is how God uses God's very own creation to bring about the kingdom of heaven here in this time and place and context. We are the ones that God uses to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, and to visit the incarcerated. And in God's coming and future kingdom, we know that no one is left hungry, no one is left cold or lonely or afraid, no one. And so we live into that glorious coming future kingdom now when we care for our neighbor, whether we acknowledge God's presence with them or not. The judging is for God alone to do. God who is the shepherd, the king, that is not for us. We are called simply to participate with God in loving the least of these, all of them, without precondition. And God's judgment of our failure to do so, our failure to love, our failure to join God in bringing about God's kingdom now illustrates just how much God desires wholeness for all of humanity. Our first reading in Ezekiel reminds us again that God's judgment is given in defense of the marginalized and for those who do not join in God's love for creation. God will feed them with justice. God's judgment is justice and is given in God's deep love for humanity, not in spite or in retribution. The second thing I think we miss if we turn away from the judgment in this text is the depth and breadth of God's grace and mercy that extends to even those who fail to clear that high bar. To folks like you and me, this final parable in Matthew is followed immediately by the passion narrative. As Jesus speaks these admittedly harsh words of judgment, we're mere days from his arrest and execution, days from his death and resurrection. The cross looms large in these final parables in Matthew. The cross indeed is the very center of our understanding of God, the place where God redeems all of creation to God's self. But if we arrive at the cross 
having shut our eyes and our ears to our desperate need for redemption, our need to be made whole, then we minimize the beauty and the power and the mercy of God's amazing grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it costly grace. Costly because it condemns sin, but grace because it justifies the sinner. When we catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God, we can't help but see how it differs, differs from the human empires that we build and support. In God's kingdom, we find God's deep, unstoppable love for humanity, both in God's judgment and the gift of God's grace for you and for me. And so we are called to join God, our King, in feeding the hungry, visiting the incarcerated, and advocating for equitable systems that limit the suffering in this world. This is kingdom work here and now, today. And as God's love has freed us to join God in bringing the snapshot of the coming kingdom to life in our community and in this world today. Amen.